Think Radio. This is Next Stop Mississippi. I'm Sharita Brink here with Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. Lots of great things are going on this weekend, and we'll tell you about them this hour. Flonzie Brown-Wright will join us to talk about a bicentennial project honoring Sister Thea Bowman. A cool tour is coming up in the Fondren area. Food Truck Friday is today, and the International Museum of Muslim Cultures celebrates Culture Night. Plus, they're talking about tamales in the lower delta. You can give us a call today to let us know about any events going on in your area. 877-MPB-RING is the number, or email next stop at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio on MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Sharita Brent in studio with Mary Margaret Miller from Visit Mississippi. And today we are going to talk about uh, the multitude of things that are happening in the state this weekend. We're not going to get to all of them, but we'll cover some uh, that caught our eyes. Uh, we're going to talk about Miss um, Flonzie Brown-Wright is in studio with us, and she's going to talk with us about a bicentennial project that's honoring Sister Thea Bowman. And the playwright is here with us as well. A very cool tour is coming up in the Fondren area. Food Truck Friday is today. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the International Museum of Muslim Cultures celebrates Culture Night. We'll have a guest on to talk about that. And they're talking about tamales in the lower delta. Sounds like we're going to make folks hungry this morning. And uh, my cheese is in my office, so I'm, I'm going to run and go get it during the break. <laughs> it, it is a, it's a holiday weekend, so uh, it's a weekend of eating. I think everybody knows the calories don't count when, uh, when oh, we're celebrating. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. Well, you've been doing a lot of traveling. Uh, talk to us about that. You've been in North Mississippi, right? I have. I, I spent my week uh, north uh, this uh, over the past several days. I was in uh, Florence, Alabama for a meeting of the Americana Music Triangle. Really cool project that brings together uh, five states, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Louisiana, and Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And the concept is really about sharing our, our collective musical story with international travelers. So mm. we know that when folks come to Mississippi to explore the Mississippi Blues Trail, they're likely going to pop into New Orleans to get a little taste of Zydeco and jazz. They might end up in Muscle Shoals to really uh, dig into that Muscle Shoals sound and mm -hmm. Fame Studios and that story. So it's a really great group of people coming together. And then I got to spend several days uh, in uh, in uh, the Oxford area working on projects or, uh, or focusing on our big Mississippi Bicentennial Celebration North event. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys know we just wrapped up our South event in Gulfport. It was a huge success. Uh, two days of, of great programming, both educational and entertaining 
at Centennial Plaza. And we're headed to Oxford. We're going to celebrate the bicentennial in Oxford for the northern region mm-hmm. uh, the weekend of June 23rd through the 25th. Wow. So um, lots of great things happening. Thacker Mountain Radio live from the Grove. We've got a wonderful concert um, coming to the Ford Center featuring Marty Stewart, Mac McAnally, wow. Steve Azar. It's a great show. It's a free show, but it is ticketed. So if you want tickets, visit Mississippi.org slash 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, claim your tickets soon because they're going to go fast. And then we'll wrap up the weekend with a, a family tailgate in the Grove featuring their Sunset Concert Series and the Blackwater Trio. It's a really oh great uh, three-day uh, bang of Bicentennial. Man, I, I wish we could have Bicentennial every year. I mean, all of these events that are coming together, people are coming together to celebrate the state, uh, the history, and the, the future. It is awesome. It has been awesome to see all of these projects coming together. Well, it really is, and, and I'm so excited about um, about what we're about to talk about, about Thea's turn, because this is one of our um, Bicentennial grantee projects. And now I've talked about these big kind of regional celebrations, but I think the real fiber, the real meaning of the Bicentennial is going to show up through these uh, local programs that are put together by local people like our two guests. Absolutely. And uh, we won't waste any more time. We have two very special guests in studio this morning. Uh, Flonzy Brown-Wright, thank you so much for being in today. And thank you to uh, the playwright, the one who put this play together, Mary Queen Donnelly. We appreciate you guys being in today. Thank Thank you you. so much. So we're really excited to hear uh, about this play. But first, we want to hear about the woman, uh, Thea Bowman. Could you tell us who she was for those who may not know? Okay, thank you. Well, Sister Thea Bowman uh, was from Canton. Um, She and I attended Holy Child Jesus Catholic School many years ago, so we were classmates, and we were girlfriends, and we were buddies. Mm. And at at, at age 15, she announced to her parents, Dr. and Mrs. Theon Bowman, that she was going to go to La Crosse, Wisconsin to become a nun. Now, can you imagine the only child, the only daughter of the Bowman family um, leaving uh, Canton at 15 to go to La Crosse to, um, I guess, discover her real self? Mm. And um, she did go to, uh, to, to La Crosse to become a nun. And um, shortly after going to La Crosse, she became ill. And, of course, uh, that the play is going to spare that out as well. But just having known her and having worked with her and having, having had the opportunity to know what her focus in life was. And when she converted from uh, being a United Methodist to Catholicism, uh, in her own words, she said it was not the liturgy, it was not the dogma of the church. It was the fact that she would see white nuns at that time, because late 40s, early 50s, how they came to the homes of indigent, poor black people and cleaned the faces of black children, picked them up, hugged them, and uh, provided clothing and food items to these families, my family included. And of course, so we we developed quite an association as little girls. I was going to also become a nun, but mom wasn't having it. So, <laughs> But we were very, very proud of Thea. And of course, throughout her life, she educated. Uh, she actually transformed the way that the masses are conducted because as when she went in, of course, they were all in Latin. And um, through her uh, tenacity and her tenacious spirit, she was able to bring gospel music, clapping, singing, swaying, dancing. She was a teacher, preacher, lecturer, and traveled the world just telling people about um, our culture and stressing education. And so we're just so happy now. I'm glad to meet you 
uh, one of the persons who sat on the board when we submitted the grant. So thank you so very much for uh, your overview and allowing us to do what we're trying to do in Canton. And enough about that for now. What I'd like to do is introduce the young lady who actually wrote the play, a contemporary of Thea's, Mary Queen Donnelly. And of course, we're putting this play on uh, Dr. Mark Henderson and Mad Drama from Jackson State, uh, some of our special guests. So I'm just going to ask Mary now if she would pick up from there and uh, move it on. Well, it is hard to pick up from there (laughs) (laughs) because... uh, Fonzie has. I'm just so delighted to meet her and get and work with her and get to know her because when I wrote this play, um, I didn't. Well, I I knew of Thea when I was 15 years old, but she had gone to the convent, and um, I too wanted to be a nun, <laughs> but I was not going to go to La Crosse, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and so I understood what she was leaving behind but having met these people who knew her this is oral history you won't always have these people and this is a beautiful tribute uh to her from people i've met so many people from from holy child because see i was in new orleans at the time and lived there most of my adult life and i was working for the times picayune i was a columnist and um I knew Sister Thea was coming to town, and I had followed her publicly. She was a very public person. She gave speeches all over the country and the world. And so I had followed her, and my parents knew the Bowman family, but it was my first opportunity to meet her personally. It was in 1988. And in and, and meeting her at Xavier University, and she was uh, the director of the Institute there for Black Studies, Catholic Black Studies, I got to know her personally, and we became fast friends. We became personal friends. And so I would say it was, I didn't know Flonzie at the time. It was through her that, and telling me her story, her her conflict, her the personal difficulties, that I was able to write this play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really a lot of her words. Uh, that she uh, delivered publicly, but it's also her personal, personal conflicts. And when you write a play, as you probably know, you know, in order to hold the audience, you've got to have a conflict. And Harry Belafonte came down while I was there, and he was going to do a movie of Sister Thea, but it just never materialized. And I think he may have been looking for a conflict that that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But she told me once, Fonzie, that... She said, Mary, you know, Ken, now you're talking about pre-civil rights, you know, you're talking about pre-Vatican II in the Catholic Church. You're talking about a lot of pre's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, for her to come to terms uh, with her culture, her African-American, I want to say Protestant culture, she was converted to Catholicism. She thought she had to divest herself of that to become the perfect nun. The Franciscan nun. And and she learned she didn't have to. And her 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 big premise was look, she did not believe in the melting pot. She said, Bring your gifts, your individual culture to society and to the church. If you're African American, if you're Asian, if you're Irish Catholic, if you're German, if you're whatever Look what we miss if you do not express 
yourself through your culture. And I'm not going to spoil the play and tell you how she resolves this. But it was so important to me that her child self, who was Bertha Bowman, whom Fonzie knew and played, played none with, she, I personified her. That's her inner self. That's her child self. And so in the play, you have Bertha Bowman, her child self, arguing with Sister Thea, who is the adult a nun. And mm-hmm. so you see the conflict. You don't just hear it. You see it and then how it's resolved. Wow. That's amazing and captivating for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so, so what are you hoping people will, will grasp from this play uh, besides the knowledge of who Thea was? From an in- inspirational standpoint, what are you hoping people will leave with after leaving the play? Well, you'd think I planted that question, but I didn't. <laughs> We, Fonzie and I have talked about this so often. We need her voice. If there's a time in our society that we need Sister Thiemann's, Thea Bowman's voice, it is now. Because what she's saying is diversity is your answer. Hmm. Diversity is America. And those are not just words. She is saying you've got to have the courage to find yourself and to, to learn to express who you are in your complete self-diversity. And do not be afraid. Yes. And in addition to that, in finding your voice and finding the courage, she was perhaps one of the most courageous women I've ever known. Mm. Uh, this is the this, this is this sister who, who actually transformed the Catholic Church even in the way the nuns dressed. Because prior to her... Being there, the nuns wore the long habits, Mm -hmm. and all you saw was the roundness of their faces and their hands. Well, when Thea was going through this this, uh, uh, conflict period, when she finally realized that she could be black and Catholic, Mm. this is when she ungarbed, unrobed herself in the uh, traditional habit and began wearing dashikis, afros, sandals, and African clothing, as a matter of fact, she was buried buried in one of her African gowns because that was her wish. I bet so that was, that was revolutionary. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, she also rebelled when, when 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 you go into the convent. They have a name selected for you, normally male oriented. And, of course, the name that they chose for her, I'm just going to say Sister Mary Walter. She didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Being the only child of the Bowmans, she wanted to find a way to honor her parents. So, therefore, she um, took the name Thea all the way up to the hierarchy until they allowed her to become Thea because her father's name was Theon. And so Thea is feminine to Theon. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, she did a lot of moving and shaking in the Catholic Church. And when people now come to Mass and they're, they're singing the hallelujahs and this little light of mine and precious Lord, take my hand, pass me not, and singing and swaying and clapping and moving and dancing, it was because Sister Thea, a, a young lady from Canton, Mississippi, my hometown, had the courage to even talk to bishops and tell them, you must be on the front line leading this movement. You cannot sit back at the, at the monastery or, or uh, uh, while people are getting their heads beaten. You must be out front uh, as, a, as a Catholic uh, leader to show people that it can be done, but that they also have support. And so when she reconciled, I am black. I'm, she said, I'm going to bring my black self 
into this movement, and she did. And of course, I watched the transformation because um, normally when she would come to Canton, she would send me a little note that I'll be at the convent um, in two weeks, come by and see me. And of course, I would go by and visit with her. And one of the last times I, well, one of the times I went by when she was going through the transformation, she opened the door. When I rang the bell, she opened the door. And I saw Sister Thea standing in a dashiki, no habit, some sandals, and an afro. Whoa. And, I I see, and you know, and the other nuns, other nuns, all white, of course, were in the convent. And so I whispered, I said, girl, what happened? <laughs> She's a child, and petticoats were just too hot. Keeping <laughs> <laughs> it real. <laughs> but she was going through that. She's a girl, and petticoats were just too hot. But what she was really saying from that period, that I am now who I am. And she freed a lot of nuns, black and white. Because mm-hmm. if you see a nun on the street now, you wouldn't really know, you, you, would, necess- you would not necessarily know that this is a Catholic nun because they wear slacks and jeans and T-shirts and sure. sandals too. Uh, and one of the main characters in the place, Sister Dort, who was the caretaker of mm-hmm. her parents and Thea, um, when she comes up to our meeting, she's on our committee. She has her slacks on and a T-shirt and, and her sandals or some gym shoes. Nothing on her head. Her little earrings and a little chain around her neck. That was unheard of at that time. So through Thea's life and through her tenacity, she, as I said, revolutionized the Catholic Church in many areas. But I do want to also um, remind people, and I want to give a number. We want you to make call to make your reservation. Because the invitation, and I'd like to share that with you as well, the invitation um, asks you to call our Canton number, 601-859-1307, and make your reservation. And this is being sponsored by the Canton Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jana uh, Paget Deer is the director. I saw the play year before last, and I've been doing some work for the Bureau for just a little over a year now. And I made this proposal to Jana last summer. Why don't we bring this play to Canada? Because she is very passionate about bringing Thea's life back to life in her hometown. Well, without hesitation, she said, let's do it. So I found Mary Queen and I connected, and we began to have meetings about how can we do this. And, of course, uh, we're now at the point uh, Saturday, uh, the 22nd, at 7 o'clock. Um, at the high school auditorium, and we have so many Canton connections. Dr. Mark, Dr. Mark Henderson, the executive director, producer of the play, is from Canton. Uh, Mr. Jesse Primer from Canton is going to start playing easy listening music at 6, because uh, Jana is a Cantonian, Mary is a Cantonian, I am a Cantonian, so we feel so honored that we have the privilege to be able to tell tell Thea's story from a historical perspective, as well as from one of those who we hope people would be motivated. And as I shared with the crew, I met with the crew Monday, and I said to them, if you don't have a defining moment during this experience, we've done something wrong. Well, I'm sure folks will not have that problem. Uh, I've had very defining moments even in this interview, so we are uh, gracious that you both came in today. And once again, the play is going to be Next Saturday? Next Saturday. At 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. High School. Right. And, and it's free admission. And it's free admission. And the, the, there's also a matinee that we're also advertising. But the matinee is for school students only. Okay. It is not for the public. That's at 1 o'clock at the high school. So, uh, but the play, the premiere performance is Saturday the 22nd at 7 p.m. 
Well, I'm going to try to make it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm <laughs> Absolutely. Please. May I say one thing about the title, Thea's mm-hmm. Turn? It is Thea's Turn. Uh, I got that from a private conversation, and and it was we were talking about the liturgy, and she said, you know, tell, telling me, you know, well, you've had your turn. I want, we, this is, you know, we want to express it in a variety of ways. What she said to me was, we're all labeled as children. You know, the smart one, the artistic one, the this, that from our parents or from uh, from our teachers, from our playmates. But when some point you have to, this is why it resonates, I think, with everybody. At some point, you want to come to terms with who you are. And that's why it's her turn to get back on this stage and and tell give her message. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both. Uh, did you have something there? No, Margaret? thank you both. I mean, I think it's an important, lesser-known Mississippi story that's really changed the world as we know it today. So thank you all for bringing it to the stage and bringing it home to Canton. Absolutely. And then on Thursday at 5 o'clock, we're having a ribbon-cutting ceremony celebrating the uh, Alice M. Scott Library and the Buttress Reading Room at the Multicultural Center where much of Thea's artifacts is housed. 5 o'clock on the 20th ribbon-cutting ceremony. So we're having a whole weekend, crawfish bowl later that day, and Ooh. just having a great time. <laughs> Love Excellent. That. Well, uh, Flonzie Brown-Wright, Mary thank Queen you. Donnelly, thank you both for coming in today. We appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Thank appreciate you it. Absolutely. We need to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. And we have a couple guests in studio today. We're uh, going to talk about a, more than a tourist event that's coming up. And we're going to learn a little bit about the area of Fondren, which is growing. And it's a really nice place. I like Fondren. Uh, so, uh, Mary Margaret Miller, you want to take, take it away? Absolutely. I, I'm happy to welcome my good friend, Jane Halbert-Jones. She's the, um, the director at More Than a Tourist, a, a tourism company located here in Jackson. And, Jane, um, you stay busy. You do international work you do work all over the country but you've got a love for jackson so tell our listeners a little bit about more than a tourist okay um well you're right i do um well i am a travel agent and i've been doing trips anywhere in the world any time of year for um quite some time um take very small groups over to france once or twice a year um but my whole goal was to be able to do that on both sides of the pond so um it's taken a little work to do as i've had to research and read and interview people and things like that to get to know the um, areas of Jackson, of Fondren, and Belhaven, downtown, and Mississippi. Um, so I'm always kind of exploring and um, trying, you know, interviewing people and talking to people because um, it's not about just facts and and dates. It's also about the stories that you learn from people and you put that together and you can have a really good tour. And so um, it's been fun. And that's um, there's so many people around that love Jackson and love the area. You go to bigger cities, for example, and you're able to find tours that you might could be a part of, you know, whether it be a foodie tour or things like that. Um, And that's just one thing that we don't, you know, have as much. And so I'm just consistently trying to develop that. Um, 
Well, Jane is uh, is one of the tour guides we go to when we bring in international groups or groups from outside of Mississippi that are interested in the Jackson area. We turn them over to Jane because we know that uh, when you travel um, to a place like Mississippi, to a place like Jackson, it's not just about where you land, where you eat, what museum you see, but it's really about experiences, right? It's about yeah, the people absolutely. you meet. And Jane's one of Definitely those folks people, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that never meets a stranger that seems to know everybody. And uh, you've got an event coming up next Saturday. This is kind of... Um, part of a series you've promoted over the last couple of years, sort of a what I'd call like a progressive dinner. Yeah, and I've done um, a couple progressive dinners, um, and they've been really fun. Um, and this one next Saturday, April 22nd, is gonna is my first um, sweetie tour of Fondren. Um, so it'll be a you know, obviously a little a little tour of Fondren, but along the way we'll actually stop at um, Campbell's Bakery, La Brioche, and Brent's Drugs, and have a little sample of a um, a nice confection. You know, Ooh. there um, it'd be like the macaroons at La Brioche and a little milkshake at Brent's Drugs and things like that. So also walking in a place um, and getting a little bit of the history and story behind each of those places. Also, that someone there will kind of be there and kind of explain because really he wants to listen to me. 100% of the time on these tours. Um, and in between, we'll be, um, you know, we'll be stopping at different points and learning the evolution and the the history of Fondren. You know, oh, from, what a good from, history. Uh, from uh, 1840 and the Garland family, you know, all the way kind of to today. Yeah, I had my first macaroon like a few weeks ago, and it is delicious. It's not a cookie. It's not a cake. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a macaroon, but it's really, really good. And I also went to Brent's recently. I've been there like twice in the past few months, and I'll admit this to the world, I had my first milkshake at Brent's at the age 30. This is the first time Ever. I had it. Yeah. Uh, it was the, the dream sickle or something like that. Okay. But Brent's, it, it just feels classic in there. I mean, yeah. the atmosphere is great. Uh, you know, you can go there on an afternoon and see kids eating ice cream and milkshakes. And, and then I, I actually looked up uh, information about Mr. Brent to, you know, see how the, the place was founded. And it's great that it has come back alive. Yeah, for sure. I can't get enough of the Nutella. I try to get other oh. milkshakes, but Nutella always <laughs> just calls my name over there. So. I right. just like the big straws when you get a milkshake there. The straw is about the size of a nickel, and you know. You it's, uh, it's incredible. You don't have to pucker your cheeks to try to get them out. Yeah. Well, um, Jane, I know that I've, I've gotten to experience one of your tours. It was a downtown. Uh, yes, well, you I, actually helped me. Um, and so I really still appreciate that. Well, I, still I wasn't very much help. I was just kind of along for the ride. Um, but I think one of the, the biggest takeaways uh, for the, the more than a tourist tours of Jackson is that you're with this really great, um, diverse collection of people. It's not usually uh, a f- group of friends or like a ladies day out. You've got folks from all walks of life that come together. And I think you kind of come away with new friends. So I would encourage folks who are new to the Jackson area or or, uh, you know, want to learn more about their city, it's a great way to meet people. Yeah, well, and I, <clears throat> I call it, you know, be a tourist in your own town. Um, and I did just want to mention that you don't have to wait for one of my tours. You can actually, um, you know, get with me or, you know, if you want to put, if you do have a ladies' day out, what if you have family coming in for different um, occasions, like a wedding or things like that, and you're wanting to offer something a little bit more, um, you can come to me and I can put a tour together um, for you, and, you know, depending on, you know, what you want. Same thing with businesses. If they have other people coming in town to do any kind of work and they're going to be here maybe for a week or longer or staying in Jackson, that um, you can also get with me to 
plan something around town. Well, I wish Rita and I had been keeping a list of all the things we want to do so oh you could gosh. put this together in a in a sensible manner because it's getting kind of long and we're going to need some help Y'all getting organized. Y'all talk about things all the time that I'm like, I'm writing down. You know, <laughs> right. There's so many things in the yeah. state to do. Now, uh, the area of Fondren, has it always been called Fondren or did it um, develop no, into No, um, it's there. There was a little piece of it, kind of where the strip is, that was, um, and from what I know from stories and stuff, too, that that was the kind of Fondren area, um, and it was incorporate. Um, it also had, like, Cherokee Heights and Woodland Hills and Broadmeadows, so there was a time when, you know, all those neighborhoods, you know, had their own name, and it wasn't until kind of the later 90s um, that a group of people, which are now the, the Fondren Renaissance Foundation, um, they kind of came together to to kind of put all this under one moniker, in a sense. So let's just call this whole area Fondren. Um, you still see Broadmeadow and the Woodland Hill sign, for sure. But um, now that whole area from, like, what, Rejoy Wilson to, like, Meadowbrook and, and East and West are um, known as Fondren collectively. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. Now, Jane, before we let you go, uh, you're a woman that wears many hats. And one of those that we want to talk about is uh, your work uh, in kind of the the reopening of one of Jackson's great live music clubs, Underground 119. Yes. Um, so I'm also managing there. Um, and it's been it's been fun where this has been since the soft opening We've been open one month, um, so really three weeks if you don't count the soft opening. Um, it's great. We're having a lot of fun. We're open um, just Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, um, so that's been great. I don't know if I would have gone back in if it was going to be every night of the week. Sure. Um, Thursdays is really great. Um, we're open from 5 to 11. There's a really good happy hour. We have our house band, Jesse Robinson and Friends Legendary Blues Night, um, and there's no cover all night. Um, no cover they, for Jesse Robinson and his band. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And they start around 6.15. So you're still there for happy hour while music's going and, and pumping. Um, Friday open from five to two, and Saturday eight p.m. until two. Well, until two. That's yeah, a, that's late. It's uh, only two nights a week for me then. Yeah. Well, um, I, I used to go to uh, Underground One Nineteen quite often, and I, I played there sometimes. And I mean, it, it was really an awesome place. And it looks like the stage. We've moved the stage. That's the biggest. Of, so talk about the the theory behind that. I don't think it was much of a theory as everybody who's walked in has said, why wasn't it there to begin oh, with? Oh, okay, um, okay. But that was just, I mean, that was one of the big things. And that was the first thing we did was, you know, let's let's move the stage. Um, got a great carpenter to, you know, come in and, and move it and do it. And mm-hmm. it looks really good. It's fun. It's still small. It's still intimate. Um, we didn't change a lot of the decor. We just kind of moved one or two things and opened it up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so it still has that 119 feel for sure. And you guys are doing a little bit of food. Yes, we do have um, things like it's not the, the big menu um, as it used to be. So, um, you know, hot dogs, um, grilled chicken sandwich, fried chicken sandwich. Um, those are good. Catfish baskets, burgers, um, different kinds of French fries. You know, oh, um, well, then I, I'm in. And, um, <laughs> and they're all in baskets. And so our dessert is called pie in a basket. Oh, <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. The That's the first place I had sweet potato fries was really? underground 119. Because okay. I was completely rebellious. I was like, I don't want sweet and salty <laughs> stuff. And then mix it together and it was perfect. It was <laughs> but one of my best experiences at underground 119 was seeing uh, Jason Marcellus. I thought that was amazing that you have local artists and national artists. I mean, really underestimated the, the quality of talent you have coming through. Um, and we have music uh, booked through the end of June already. So um, you can go to our website at um, underground119.com um, and look on the calendar and see what we got coming up. We've got some really fun 
That's a really fun. Well, this is stuff. a big, a big, uh, as I call it, college weekend. I was driving home yesterday from Oxford, and it was me and every freshman from Ole Miss on I fifty five. So, uh, what's going on this weekend, Jane? Uh, well, last night was a great night with uh, Jesse Robinson. Tonight is uh, Stevie J, and yeah. tomorrow is uh, Todd Thompson and the Lucky Hand Blues Band. I love Stevie J so much. Really He's so good, and Todd Thompson too. So it's going to be a fun weekend. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you coming in. And, and to remind folks of your website if they're interested in getting involved um, in the Sweetie Tour or yeah. other um, My events. website is um, morethanatourist.net. Um, and you can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. It's all under More Than a Tourist. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank, Thank you. We appreciate it. And now we're going to talk about food. Yes. Food trucks, uh, particularly uh, in Jackson. Uh, so the Food Truck Festival is going on today, I guess, in like a couple hours, right? Starts at 1130. All right. We have Janet Scott with us, director of the Jackson Arts Council. So um, tell us about this this food truck movement in Jackson. Are we seeing more and more food trucks come through? We are. And we're seeing great quality food trucks coming in. Um, it's just been in the last, I think, two years that it's really become popular. Mm. I mean, there have always been food trucks around. And in a lot of other cities, you know, they've been the place to go to lunch. But here it's really just starting to kick in. And so we started Food Truck Friday last year. And we've changed it this year to we're doing it every second Friday. Mm-hmm. So once a month, you get to come to Smith Park. Today, there'll be seven food trucks. Ooh. Seven. All right. Seven food trucks. So you can get just about anything your heart desires. Yeah, right. To What's eat. on the menu today? What kind of food trucks will we see? Oh, you'll see tacos. You'll see barbecue. You'll see vegetables. You'll see hot dogs and hamburgers. You'll see southern fried chicken. I mean, so just about anything that you are wanting to eat mm-hmm. it will be down there today. So where are these folks coming from with these trucks? I mean, is it hard to start a food truck for, you know, folks? A lot of folks around here can cook and probably have the desire to have a food truck, but don't know the process. Well, and honestly, I don't really know the process to start a food truck. I do know that there are a lot of um, regulations from the health department that they have to follow just like a restaurant, Mm. um, you know, to be able to do it. And they have to get certain permits and so forth to be able to do it. And they have to be within um, a way at least 300 yards from a restaurant. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they can't be right next to a restaurant. And so, you know, there's this real, like, kind of national food truck craze. You, you see the shows about food trucks on the Food Network, and, you know, anybody who's been to Austin, Texas knows that that's, like, the thing to do. But, uh, Janet, from your perspective, I mean, what's the, what's the you know, what's the, the draw for this, uh, for, you know, ordering your food from a truck and having it handed out of the window? I mean, how is that different for folks than just a regular lunch downtown? I think it's nostalgic. Hmm. You know, I I mean, I do. I think there's a lot of nostalgia attached to it. And then it's just fun. Um, When we do the Food Truck Fridays, we have a lot of music going on. We have a lot of other things happening downtown. Um, And it's just something fun where a lot of people can come together and you can stand there and go, wow, any, any money. What do I want to eat today? Right. And what am I in the mood for? And then, of course, you can kind of go, well, I'll get something from here and something from here and something from here. And so it's really... um, just reminiscent of being able to you set a food court but um, yeah as a child you went to takeouts and they stuck it out the window Sure, you know, sure. there are not any of those left anymore. It's right. kind of like the new drive drive in. Yeah, you could say that. Kind of. Yeah. Except yeah. you're walking in, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, on two feet. 
Uh, we'll talk about the, the decision to have Food Truck Friday at Smith Park, which is just a beautiful space. I mean, seeing folks perform under that big thingy, I don't know what you call it, but it is a beautiful space. So was that intentional to have it at Smith Park? Absolutely. And to bring more people downtown. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately, in, in Jackson, we have a, a perception that downtown is not safe. But if you really look at the statistics, downtown is the safest place in the state. Wow. And um, it, it's a place that um, is growing and is building up and it's bringing more uh, businesses downtown. We have a tremendous, as of course me, I'm going to say this, arts downtown. And we do um, with the planetarium, the art center, the Museum of Art, Smith Robertson, I mean, all of that's downtown. And so we really want people to feel comfortable coming downtown for events. And that was one of the main reasons for keeping it downtown and keeping it in Smith Park. And of course, there's a huge surge now to update Smith Park and redo Smith Park. There's called the Friends of Smith Park. And they have a, a an architectural drawing of what they really want Smith Park to be, and they mm-hmm. are in the process of raising money so that um, we will have green space that's really, really wonderful, you know, in downtown Jackson. Yeah, thanks for combating that false narrative about downtown Jackson not yeah. being safe. I was just telling someone, I mean, Sam has lived downtown. I lived downtown for seven years, and I never felt more <laughs> safe than when I lived downtown. Well, I walk I, around downtown by myself me, all the time. My wife yeah, would park good. downtown. Yeah. She would walk into the King Edward. She would walk all over downtown with me going back and forth to Jane's new place, uh, uh, 119. <laughs> and uh, we, Nothing ever nothing. No, nothing. it's great. I mean, it's it great. really is. And um, it's getting really pretty down there i mean there's been so much done to clean it up it and, does and look great landscape it and you know make it really look like a southern downtown well and you know you just can't say enough about public spaces you know smith park is a place for everyone it doesn't matter where you come from how much money is in your pocket uh you know what uh, race creed religion you are i mean public spaces i think are really important to our community and our society and so uh i think the more programming we can have in places like Smith Park, the the better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And and we really um, are working towards doing as much as we possibly can in the downtown area. Um, you know, the the Arts Council and Visit Jackson have. Uh, I hope you've seen the traffic signal boxes that are painted all over downtown. Yes, oh, sure. I've stopped um, and, and looked at them. I know one of the artists who actually uh, yeah. drew drew on it. And we're hoping to do some more of those kinds of things and some more public art you know, downtown, not only to showcase the talent that we have here in Jackson in Mississippi, but to beautify downtown and to create more tourism. Because mm-hmm. if you really want to create cultural tourism, you can't just bring the people here. You have to have the things available for them, right? for them to want to come. And so that's where we are standing now in our partnership with Visit Jackson is to create more things so that she can bring <laughs> more people <laughs> And so that Jane can bring more people to Jackson, you know, and they're going to go, ooh, that's going on down there. Ooh, yeah, I want to go see that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be a part of that. So Yeah, there's a lot of great synergy going on. And uh, for those of those folks getting off work at noon, you know, where you're having lunch today. And also just to let you know, we have a theme for every Food Truck Friday. And today is to um, give back to those that keep us safe. Oh, first so we are honoring right. all of our first responders today. So if you're a first responder out there and you're listening to this, you get a free lunch today. Nice. So come on down. Um, and also, we're doing um, a, a little memorial in memory of our wonderful downtown officer, Alan Harper, yeah. um, who was, as Jane knows, if you're downtown, you knew him. 
Yeah. You know, you saw him every day. You knew him, and he was wonderful. And so we are doing a little thing in memory of him today. But just saying thank you to all the firemen, the police, the EMTs, and everyone that does do a phenomenal job to keep us safe. Absolutely. I guess I'll let them get in front of me in line, too, just to be <laughs> You nice. could buy much. <laughs> or I might just put a, a fireman's suit on or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both so much for being in today. Uh, we appreciate it very much. And um, uh, so the food truck thing is from 11 to 2 today, right? Right. Okay. Right at Smith Park. All right. Sounds good. And uh, website for Underground 119. One more time. Underground119.com. Excellent. All right. Thank you both for being in today. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have more. This is Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent in studio today with Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. And today we've been talking about all the wonderful things going on this weekend and coming up uh, uh, the next weekend. Uh, Thea's turn, the play is coming up next weekend at Canton High School. Wonderful play. I hope uh, Mary Margaret and I can actually go to that. It's going to be great. We've got to make it a point. Yes. Uh, Food Truck Friday is today. Underground 119 is open again. And today, uh, also, we're going to be speaking with Colette Hudson about the International Museum of Muslim Cultures and an event that they have coming up there. Colette, good morning to you. Thanks for being in today. Good morning. We appreciate the opportunity opportunity to be here. So um, you are actually like one of the coordinators at the museum, right? Right. I'm the special projects coordinator for the museum of most of the programs that will come through there. Um, but I am the, the lead coordinator for the whole month of Islamic Heritage Month. So um, this museum is the first international museum of Muslim cultures. Like, how did this all come together? You know, when I, um, I've been working with the museum for about two years, and that's the thing that kind of caught me off guard. Um, I was coming down here from Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> but, yes, it's the only one of its kind, and it started in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that it kind of came about is that Jackson used to have these kind of world-renowned exhibits that came through here. And that particular year, they had one on Spain. And some of the community members, uh, including Akola Rashid and Imad al-Turk, who are uh, amongst the founders of the museum, they noticed that the narrative about Spain did not include the fact that the Muslims had ruled Spain for seven to eight hundred years, mm-hmm. um, particularly the North African, um, uh, the North African Muslims who conquered Spain. And so with that being the case, they kind of pulled their resources and came together and created another exhibit um, across the street from the main exhibit um, where people could get a more whole story. And since then, uh, the museum's focus has been to correct the narrative about Islam and to really showcase Islamic heritage and and, uh, beliefs and ideas to kind of demystify it. 
Wow. So talk about some of the events that you have there and who comes. I'm sure folks mm-hmm. are just uh, blown away when they come and see all of the heritage and history they, they can learn. Right. So uh, this is the second year. Um, actually, Mayor Tony Yarborough had worked closely with the museum in order to proclaim April as Islamic Heritage Month in uh, honor of the 15th year anniversary of the museum. And, and so last year we had a host of different events. And this year we're trying to do it bigger and better. So it's open to the public. Um it basically uh, is three different phases. There's uh, the cultural nights that kind of showcase the different Muslim cultures from around the world, and we bring food from that area, and we kind of talk about the cultures and things of this nature. Then we have educational programs, and this year what we've done different than last year is that we actually have most of the education programs at the local colleges. Hmm. So the very first one was at Tougaloo. Last week we're at Millsap, and then actually this week coming up we'll be at Jackson State talking about um, kind of uh, uh, culturally relevant topics of uh, uh, what's going on in, in our society and the Muslim role in a lot of those things. So it's open to the public and we end the, the end of month actually with a festival, free community festival where we showcase some local talent but we also bring in some talent to uh, showcase just, you know, how Muslims tend to get down that a lot of people don't really know about. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And let me just say this, why Mississippi? So the reason why it's significant that the museum is here is that When the slaves came to the Americas, Mississippi was a main area, and a lot of the slaves that came down here was from West Africa. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the slaves initially that came to Mississippi come from Muslim countries. So there is actually a embedded uh, heritage of uh, Islamic culture and Islamic communities here in Mississippi that over the years has been lost, but we kind of highlight with mainly one of our exhibits, which is the exhibit about Timbuktu, the wonders of the written word. Mm -hmm. So... Mississippi, although it's, it's interesting that this is taking place here, but it's actually logical when we get into the history of how uh, the interaction between Islam and the Americas. Mm. So this Sunday, uh, you're going to have uh, African Culture Night and, and Arab cult- Culture Night. So tell mm-hmm. us what these culture nights consist of, uh, food mm-hmm. and, and movies or what else? So this this weekend, actually this Sunday on Easter, so after you've uh, gone and celebrated with your family, if you need a place to kind of come and have a family-friendly uh, ac- uh, activity, um, we'll be celebrating the countries of Ethiopia, Sudan, Senegal, and Egypt. Um, all of those countries are in the continent of Africa, um, but some of those countries consider themselves Arabs because they speak the Arabic language. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into kind of the history of how did those countries come about, um, how did Islam come into those countries, uh, some of the cultural aspects of the country, whether it be the the clothing or whether it be the type of music or the types of foods. Um, So we'll be highlighting all of those things. And then the community comes together and cooks a meal for people to taste the food of those countries. Wow. This is free as well? It's completely free. And it actually will start on Sunday at four o'clock and run to about six o'clock. And so one of the things, too, is just having opportunities where people can sit, discuss, meet, and engage one another is is one of the most effective ways to kind of remove the barriers that keep us separated. So that's really at the heart of uh, the Islamic Heritage Month. Just come meet a Muslim, meet your neighbors. Absolutely. So it's not really just about people of of the Islamic Muslim faith. It's mm-hmm. it's about the full community coming in and sitting at the table. Right, without a doubt. Because when we get into a place like Egypt, um, you have historic communities, and and, uh, and I'll be remiss if I don't mention the, the tragedy of a couple of weeks ago. The Muslims are devastated by, uh, by that. But the Coptic Christians have been in Egypt since the very beginning. Um, and it, even when we get into the story of Ethiopia, 
the first place that the early Muslims have went to to receive some type of protection from the uh, the people of Mecca was Abyssinia, which is modern day Ethiopia. So the Christian king Nedges in Abyssinia uh, welcome the Muslims come there and live in peace and safety. Um, and so there's this long history of interaction between historic Christian communities and historic Jewish communities. And so particularly in these particular countries, that's the legacy that we try to bring it up. So it's, it's, a, it's just a, an opportunity for us to come and sit together and, and have that conversation. Well, and, and throughout the month of April, you're kind of breaking it down by country on these Sunday night culture nights. Is that right? Right. Uh, actually, last week we focused on a Silk Road. Um, so actually there's some local uh, uh, local Jacksonians that actually rode a motorcycle uh, retracing the Silk Road. So they came and they gave a presentation of their experiences um, riding their bikes, their challenges of uh, traveling through um, Turkey, Ethiopia, places of China. Um, and the history of that is just in reality, that's how Islam spread through the traders um, and engaging these communities that they uh, they were foreigners. But, you know, just kind of meet and greet and, and exchanging uh, ideas and, and philosophy. So that's what we get at in the cultural nights of just, you know, these are the Muslims that are here in Jackson and here are their cultures. Excellent. Khalid, thank you so much for being in today. We appreciate it. And Not the website, am I, am I correct, is MuslimMuseum.org? Yes, MuslimMuseum.org. Okay. And if you want to learn, see the schedule, you'll just go uh, click on Islamic Heritage Month. And then Islamic Heritage Month 2017, it'll have a calendar and you just register for each event so we know how many folks to prepare for. But I really enjoyed this. I'm a longtime listener of the National Public Broadcast. Uh, Great. And so I'm just getting into the Mississippi Public Broadcast. Uh, but I love the conversations that takes place. Well, never too late. Thank you so much. Yes. And now you can say you've been on MPB. Yes, ma'am. Yes, <laughs> All right. Uh, we have one more call to get to. Melissa Thomas is going to speak with us uh, really quickly about the Loa Delta Talk Series. Hi, Melissa. We have just a few minutes. Thank you for calling in. Um, good morning. Good morning to you. So talk with us about the Delta Hot Tamale Talk uh, that's going to be coming up. And if you could tell us a little bit about this Lower Delta Talk Series. Okay. The Lower Delta Talk Series, um, we're in our eighth year this year. We're just thrilled about that. Lots of community interest, and outside of our community, we bring people in. But they're held on Tuesday evenings of most once a month, most months. The Delta Hot Tamale Talk will be April 18th, which is next Tuesday. And Ann Martin, who has written the book Delta Hot Tamales, will be our speaker. And it'll be at 6.30 in the um, Fine Arts Room of the Sharky Issaquina Library in Rolling Fork. It's free and open to the public. We would love for anyone to come. We will feed you. And visit and then have a wonderful speaker. It's just a great opportunity for our community to come together and have a little a little, you know, entertainment once a month. Yeah, so the, the purpose of the series overall is to kind of get people up to date on the history and culture of the uh, Mississippi Delta, right? Right, yes. We celebrate the history, culture, and nature of the Mississippi Deep Delta, which is us below Highway 82. We focus on Sharkey and Issaquina counties and reach out to Washington County around the Lake Washington area, Humphreys County. And um, we just, uh, the Lower Delta Partnership just tries to support and promote all things wonderful in our small communities. And, and this series really touches on a variety of things from food, um, visual art, uh, wildlife conservation. Y'all are doing a great job of offering a variety of conversations uh, there in Sharky, Sequina. Um, yeah. Melissa, where can people go to uh, find uh, the schedule about these uh, talk series? You can go to our website, it's lowerdelta.org. And there's a schedule there, or you could call our office. It's uh, 662-873-6261, called Meg or Melissa. 
And uh, we would love to have you all come. Next month, May, we're having Walt Grayson. Then in June, we're having a, the cooking lady, Ann Hollowell. In nice. August is Hope Collier and the Delta Film Institute. September is Dispatches from Pluto, uh, writer Richard Grant. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on, Melissa. We really appreciate it. And thank you to Sam for serving us. This is his last show on Next Stop Mississippi. Sam, we are going to miss you dearly, but good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Southern Remedy for Women is coming up next on MPB Think Radio. 